Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, any of the places where you can find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and I. Feel free to connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who's going a little stir-crazy, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I keep myself entertained, Gerald. I am I am reading books. I am watching the shows. Um, about to do a Fast and the Furious watch through, um, starting with one. I, if anyone has any shouts on where to locate, uh, my wife thinks Hobbs and Shaw may be um, the best movie she's seen in the last five years. Uh, I haven't <laughs> seen it, um, so uh, if anyone has any any recommendations at all on culture, uh, hit us up in the uh, in the mentions on on our show Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Um, but especially if you have any good streaming, because I think you can get through Fast and Furious, and then there's a break. And I think F7 might be on HBO. I don't know. Um, but anyways, they, I don't believe they are all instantly and eminently streamable for free without buying individual films. If you can somehow get your wife to convince my wife that a Fast and Furious walk, watch through is the right decision, I would be very, very appreciative of that. <laughs> um, I I want to jump back in. I haven't seen one since I think probably Tokyo Drift, uh, which was, I believe, the third one in the series. And we're on mm. movie, what, eight or nine at this point? F9, by the way, was postponed. Maybe the, the toughest uh, original of the original swath of coronavirus-related news, maybe the toughest received um, by good friend of the show, Mario, um, because F9, I think, has, has been on the calendar for a long, long time uh, and got pushed back to 2021. Like everything else, which is, it, it is what it is. It's the right decision. Keep people safe. But we're not here to talk about movies. That's my other podcast. I'll plug that in a little bit. Uh, we're here to talk about Texas. So today we're going to do the final of our uh, reviews for 2019, and then we've got a special interview. Uh, we're going to highlight another program on campus that uh, maybe doesn't get as much shine as it should uh, after we do that, and then we'll be out of your hair for the week. But we're going to start with the special team. So the special teams this year was really special in both the good and the bad ways, depending on the type of specialist you are looking at. So we've got it divided into the good and the bad slash ugly. And the good would, would be uh, the legs, the kicking part of the special team. So uh, punter Ryan Bushevsky had 32 punts this season for 1,335 yards, a 417 Yards per kick average Nagger uh, Chris Nagger who came in after uh, Bushevsky injured himself I believe on a fake punt if I memory serves correctly um, still upset about that 25 kicks for 983 yards for a slightly lower 32 or 39.3 yard per kick which is actually really really good um, in spite of the drop off 
Yeah, there's there's a reason that uh, from being a preferred walk-on after excelling in the second half of the season, Chris Nagger um, is no longer with the team he's transferred to, I believe, SMU, um, if I recall correctly. So he, he deserves to be a Division One kicker, two of the best punters in the Big 12 last year, both on this Longhorn team. I could actually make the case, if you look at it, only seven fewer punts, a slightly lower average, but zero touchbacks to Buchevsky's three. Same number inside the 20, same number number over 50 and did have a long of 67 to Bushevsky's 56. But I'll say this, it's splitting hairs and like picking from both my uh, hypothetical, in this case, children um, here. You could have either of them, but the, the stat, Gerald, that jumps off the page with the punting, over the entirety of the season, opponents averaged 3.3 yards and a total yardage allowed on punts 30. That is unbelievably impressive for the punt unit. Obviously, the punters have a lot to do with that, um, but the coverage guys who get down, make the tackle, make sure guys choose to fair catch, uh, down it where it needs to be, put that intimidation factor in there. That is that is a highly effective unit when you think about that step. Absolutely. And the after the Texas Bowl a few years back when uh, you know our kind of patron – Saint of the podcast, uh, the best punter in the NFL, the Aussie himself. Uh, when he was named the kind of player, the outstanding player of the game, like the MVP of the game, there were people like, "How are you going to name the punter uh, the outstanding player?" But like when you think about that in the context of if the punt is your first defensive play, then the punter is one of the more valuable pieces in every game. So the fact that Bushevsky was able to put 10 punts inside the 20 and that Nagger put 10 inside the 10, like that's a big deal. Like them being able to pin opponents in bad field position. Now what the defense did with that field position is a completely different conversation. But the fact of the matter is like those guys are a massive, massive weapon for a defense. And the fact that Bushevsky has got a couple, several more years under his belt is a, is nothing but a, uh, a check in the positives column for, for the Texas Longhorns overall. And as UT's foremost kicking and punting podcast, you obviously knew we were going to go in on this. So hopefully you can you can now, in the long doldrums of no sports, win some arguments with your friends about why punting truly matters. Punting truly does matter. So uh, moving on to the uh, the balls on the ground, I guess. Uh, Cameron Dicker, the guy we all know, the guy we all love. Uh, Dicker, the kicker. Had a, another solid year, I think. Honestly, it it flew. It felt like it flew under the radar more so. I think he kind of jumped onto the scene, burst onto the scene after the uh, go ahead field goal against OU last year. He kind of became the talk of the town. Um, and then this year was uh, honestly, I think, on par, if if not just as good as last year. He didn't kick a single time inside the twenty. Uh, was three of four from twenty to twenty nine. Perfect five of five from that mid thirty to thirty nine range. Uh, missed two. He was five of seven uh, from forty to forty nine, and then went one of two from 50 and longer, but his long of the season, that one that he made was a 57 yard bomb uh, for Texas. So Cameron Dicker continues to be a weapon. And I mean, 14 of 18 is not bad. I, I think the number I'm more concerned with is he only had 18 attempts. Yeah, absolutely. And zero inside the 20 is crazy. The binder does interesting things to a UT kicker. Um, Tom, you know, 
it's it's a world ago. But think back to like the LSU game when Keontae Ingram drops the on the half yard line touchdown catch that maybe wins uh, against LSU and changes the narrative history. But anyways, um, you know, so a couple of those red zone attempts that get stopped if you get a field goal there, you know, what happens? Change the course of the game, whatever. Um, it will be interesting if Tom remains a never, uh, never inside the never a red zone guy, always going for it. May have just been the circumstances aligned this year that it, you know we never had a nineteen and a half yarder um, when you count your inside the twenty because I, I don't know on the twenty to twenty nine how many of them were on the shorter side of that power metric, but nonetheless it is interesting. But the, obviously the Dicker stat here um is just the game winners against the state of kansas um we are kansas state champions i make that joke only because they they have been able to claim in years past that they were texas state champions after beating all of the texas teams um i think kansas state that would be not kansas but uh dicker himself was able to uh to put away both kansas teams and for long time listeners of this podcast you know exactly how I feel about a teams in purple, but B specifically Kansas state. So anyone who, uh, who puts the nail in their coffin, uh, is a friend of mine. So good on you, Cameron Dicker. Great season only up from here. I think, uh, we can go ahead and say that he is, uh, the governor at least of Kansas. I feel like that's how that works, right? <laughs> if you beat both state schools and you become the governor, I think you do not want to be the governor of, of Kansas based on, uh, recent reviews. That might be the worst job in America. Uh, I won't, if you want to Google, um, you know, the, the economic policies of, of the governor, uh, of, of Kansas recently and, in, in a failed social experiment that's gone on there. Um, it's a fascinating read. I'm sure you can find, uh, some political podcasts that, that will dive into that, but it's, it's interesting and wild and not uh, not an easy job. I'll say that. Is it a bad job because it's a bad job or is it a bad job because the person running it is not good at their job? That's another conversation again. Uh, <laughs> so uh, on kickoffs, Cameron Dicker, 78 kicks, 49 of them were touchbacks, which is a great job. He only had one of his nearly 80 kicks go out of bounds on the year, which is just an incredible number as well but we're going to move on to uh the bad slash ugly in this Sergio Leone metaphor we're using and talk about the returners it was it was not good Kyle it was I don't know what else to say the returners uh there was a point in the season where Texas was I believe one of if not the only school with negative punting punt returning yards uh it was it was just kind of a show for lack of a better term our golf team is so good, men's and women's at the University of Texas, that even our football players got caught up in it, and they kept going for the lowest score. They were trying to be like 13 under uh, in the punt return yardage. Yes, there was many weeks. I think it was like the fifth or sixth week in the in the season. They were still the only team with less than zero return yards. But Gerald, before we dive into the stats, I want to dive into the quiz. We haven't done one of these in a little while. Um, you've seen the stats, but I, I don't know if you've calculated in exactly such a way. If you remember, Sean Jameson had a great outing in the Alamo Bowl. Um, when, it, when it came to punt returns, he actually did pretty well. And I'll give you a hint. He actually had a, um, a, a long one, a 71-yarder in that game. And, Gerald, I'm asking if you know what percentage of our season total punt return yards uh, did, did Jamison's big play against Utah account for? Um, it's got to be like 40, 40 to 45% is what I would say. Wow, you're very close, but still somehow found a way to miss that. 46%. (laughs) That's just like Uh, the punt unit. So close, but somehow found a way to screw it up. 
That's that's fair. That's fair. But the even crazier statistic that actually blew my mind was um, in that game they had a hundred and two yards. And and do you know how much of that was their entire um, their season output uh, came in that that bowl game? Uh, so you said so they had a hundred and two yards in that game. And, Correct. And how much of that was their season output? Well, you have to take into account that two players ended the season with negative yardage. Um, Correct. So, 73%. Again, you're real close. 65% of Ah. all of our putt returns came. We would not have broke triple digits for sure, um, but 65% came uh, in the the bowl. So, this went from being – that's why I put bad slash ugly here because this should have been the ugly all by itself because it was – an awful, terrible unit, but don't worry. We're still going to talk about kick returns as well. Well, so Deshaun Jameson, I think, has is going to be the far and away punt returner. Like, he's shown that he's the guy to do it. The guy has – he's got – I hate this term, but he's got, like, that wiggle about him that makes him a good returner. Uh, he's explosive. We'll talk about that with his, with his touchdown um, in his, on a kick return. But, again, I think Jake Smith is a guy that probably has uh, had some potential. He struggled this year. I think he um, – some of that's on the coaches because, like, a lot of those punts were, like, ones where a more experienced guy just puts his puts his heels on the 20 and lets it go over his head, right? Uh, so some of those was him trying to make a play. And, again, in Arizona prep leagues, like, he can make that play. But this is the Big 12, homie. Like, you can't do that. So uh, moving on to the kick returners, DuVernay and Deshaun Jameson were the two for the year. And, again, Deshaun Jameson uh, puts himself as the top player not by virtue of one long run, but but one long return really put him over the top and and made him stand out this year. Yeah, thirty uh, yard average um, on his on his eight, but again, one of those came in the rice where he had ninety eight yards in a touch, and it was a phenomenal play. Really capped that game um, with an exclamation point. But I, I think out of both of these return units, um, the the thing that doesn't live in the box score that you might miss from the stats was some of the decision making in when to field. Like you said, you you tell a guy stand on the ten with your heels if it looks like it's over your head, you let it go. But even on kickoffs, you know, kickoffs, there's another you know dimension to that calculus where if you let it go and it doesn't go in the end zone I think um, in years past um, if you didn't do anything um, that could be that could be uh, recovered as a live ball it's basically a really long onside kick this year you could fair catch and take it at the 25 um, so it added a little bit of ease but still there was times when guys would be reaching out of bounds to catch a, a kickoff that, that you know would give you much better field position if you just let it go that took balls you know out that had no business doing it why they didn't fair catch some um, no business doing it again, just dropping punts, even on days that weren't sunny, couldn't give the sun in your eyes, excuse dropping punts and kicks. Um, it, it was a rough year. I mean, if you take, if you talked about our special teams and, and a, there was a lot of conversation this season, there was a lot of negative. If you take the kicking part of it, that really wasn't a big majority. It was almost exclusively on this part of the game. So I'll be curious to see with a new coach this year looking uh, forward a bit now is is if we can really hone in. We know we have in Bushevsky and Dicker good kickers coming back. That part should be relatively solid. But if we can focus on blocking kicks and also you know returning the ones um, that get back there on kickoff and punt returns and turning them into always positive plays. I think that's that's my that's my uh, my motto. I just came up with that. I'm going to suggest to Coach Bullware um, and staff is you down with APP. 
yes, let's go UT. That's always positive plays. So that's a fair catch is better than a negative uh, play. Um, APP all the time. All right, let's let's be apping it. Yep. So the Jay Bolware comes in and coaches special teams. He's an experienced special teams coach. So I'm excited to see what he can do with that group. And so we don't know when Texas will be back on the field. Uh, we are still, again, dealing with uh, social distancing and uh, quarantines and those types of things. But I think we'll be able to uh, we'll, we'll talk more about this as the season approaches. Absolutely, Gerald. And, and it, so this this is the final stat that I have. And I didn't know where to put it in any of our reviews. Cause I, I we don't really truly have like a, a retro um, plan. We will do a preview obviously, but uh, a true proper retro where we might put the, a general stat, but are you okay if I go over some quarter by quarter, just interesting things that I found when breaking down the, the season stats? Of course. All right. I figured you would say that. So um, first of all, again, just to put a, a cap on the special teams, had it not been for that performance in the bowl game, UT would have finished the season with more inter- interception return yards than punt return yards, which is a hard thing to do. Um, but anyways, um, UT scored pretty well in in three out of the four quarters. Um on only one of the four quarters did they have a negative point differential that opponents outscore them, which again, they weren't undefeated. Um, so that's a pretty impressive feat. Um, they uh, had relatively close fourth quarters. They, they ended up finishing the season two touchdowns ahead uh, or give or take of their opponent in the fourth quarter. In the third quarter, they had a good plus 30, good, healthy differential. Now the first half of games, Gerald is where things are crazy to me. Despite having a 101-point differential on the season overall, um, they, in the first quarter, got outscored. They actually were negative 7. They they scored only 54 points, which is their uh, 100 points less than their fourth quarter, almost 100 less than their second quarter, but by far their, their least productive quarter. Um, and then in the second quarter of games, they outscored opponents by more. Then they actually scored in the first. They outscored by 61 points in the second quarter of games, which, again, they only scored 54 in all of the first. Now, that might just be weird numbering. Is there anything that you take away from they were terrible in the first quarter, they were pretty great in second quarters, third quarters they were fine, fourth quarters they uh, they were you know good, but their defense was not good. I'll say that. They scored but also gave up double what they did in any other quarter. Is there anything that you take away from that? I mean, I think the biggest conversation is the conversation we had all season is that uh, Texas didn't really know how to start games and they ended up playing from behind a lot, which is not a great place to be ever, right? You never want to be trailing. That's like the point of sports, but like putting yourself behind the eight ball and then having to dig yourself out, especially when your defense is ailing. That's, I think that's why Texas had such an up and down season. I think, um, scripted Sam Ellinger is not the best Sam Ellinger. Sam Ellinger being able to play within the offense and make good uh, decisions and good reads based upon what's happening out there is probably the best Sam Ellinger that's there. And so I'm interested to see how that shapes out with uh, with the new administration. So I, I, that, that to me, and then again, the fourth quarter, Texas had a ton of fourth quarter comebacks this year. There were a lot of uh, fourth quarter, um, a lot of fourth quarter, Sam Ellinger heroics that we saw again. There were also a lot of we're giving up leads, which is tough. But uh, I, I really think those like you've got 
the old saying is I'm, I'm a public speaker by trade is, is they remember how you start and how you finish. And so I think that's, that's part of what's telling the story of the season. That's a great point. It's, it's the ambivalence of the season or the, the, um, the dual nature of it, I think is the, the, you know, they started terrible. They finished pretty good. Um, that meant it could be a crapshoot at times, right? Games could go either way or break on, you know, a, a pencil thin uh, margin. But anyways, I, I just, I found that interesting. I wanted to include it in one of our shows and I felt this was the best to do it. So uh, take from that what you will, listeners, form your own opinions. If you have some, let us know. Hit us with uh, the replies, hashtag replies of Texas on the uh, the aforementioned Twitter. So one of the commitments Kyle and I made early on in this podcast is that we wanted to shine a light on some of the things going on on the 40 acres that didn't necessarily get the big ESPN cameras out to them all the time because the University of Texas isn't just about football and basketball. And so uh, when when all the stuff happened earlier last week with all the cancellations and basically there will not be any traditional sports uh, for the foreseeable future. We wanted to see if there's something else we could shine a spotlight on. And so in our research, we found that the Texas Longhorns are also kind of a big deal in the esports realm in the college uh, arena. So we reached out and we got connected with Ashley Kim. She's a junior at the university. She's also the director of operations for Longhorn Gaming. And Ashley, thank you so much for taking some time uh, to hang out with us tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So uh, just before we jump in, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with the, with a Longhorn Gaming uh, group. Yeah, so I'm, like you said, a junior, um, a sustain- sustainability studies major. And when the school year started, there's a, um, like on Speedway, there's a bunch of tables and stuff. And Longhorn Gaming happened to be one of the tables. And I was like walking by and I was like, oh, gaming, I do that for fun. And so like <laughs> I was on my way to class and so I couldn't like stop by the table, but I like looked up the link to the discord server and join that and then like i think a few days after i saw the table they were like hey yeah we're having an interest meeting so i went to that and got involved and here i am <laughs> fantastic well i i uh i'm i'm sad to hear that we're still a few years out before you have a a rival style recruiting ranking where you're a three-star four-star you do a hat ceremony like the football players in the lead-up i mean i think if the trajectory of e-games uh esports are continuing where they're at that we'll uh, we'll get there one day but um i guess for the overall uh longhorn gaming program um what uh what games do you all participate in or sponsor i guess and and how does how does texas uh what every texas fan really wants to know how do we rank yeah, so um, basically how it works is there are a bunch of like collegiate tournaments just like hosted by a bunch of different circuits and usually like of course if there's interest on campus for every game then like someone will step up and like want to actually make said game actually happen and then from there like the program develops just kind of like organically. Um, I think for UT Austin specifically our league and our Overwatch teams are pretty strong. Um, our Overwatch team actually went to a I think it's, it was called like oh I don't remember it was some like collegiate invitational but there was like hmm. UTD, A&M like all the other Texas schools there and we actually won everything and brought home a trophy so that's Heck pretty yeah. cool yeah so we're pretty strong on those fronts but like for other smaller games or well not smaller but like smaller in terms of like the communities on campus um, like CSGO, Rainbow Six, all those games like I th- I'm pretty sure those games are pretty strong as well so yeah, they're just not as big in terms of community. 
Now, I actually ran across you guys because I, I found a tweet. I was just looking at, at some random stuff. And that the, the counter the CSGO team, the Counter-Strike team, is like right, like top 10 in the nation, I think is what, what it was. Oh, it was, yeah, yeah. So, um Man, what I guess the, the the question I want is this again we're we're a podcast that focuses traditionally on on your traditional sports that's what we've you know made, made our made our money air quotes money on so uh, for you uh, esports is like a fast it's a really fast growing industry names that Texas fans would be con- familiar with uh, Kevin Durant Kenny Vaccaro or guys that are really big I think Kenny Vaccaro is like a professional Destiny player which is really mm-hmm. weird to talk about uh, so so. As someone who's into esports and, and trying to sell, not sell, but kind of talk about esports, what would you say to someone who's a fan of traditional sports? Tell them why would they love uh, watching or, or even participating in esports? Yeah, so I feel like esports in general is similar, or not similar, but like um, very much like traditional sports in that like it's a recreational activity that people take part in for fun and then they like can obviously like make competitive um, scenes and like also like make money and like jobs and stuff out of it as well. And I think it's really interesting actually that a hobby like gaming like became such a big industry that so many people can take like part in in whatever way they want. I think it's pretty cool. Absolutely. Gerald and I are both gamers, probably at different levels and in different ways. Um, and neither of us, I, I do have to say here, this is where I, I promised Gerald that I would plug. I once won a uh, an NCAA football tournament in the parking lot of the HEB uh, on Mueller. They don't even make that game anymore, so you know I'm dating myself uh, a bit here. I think it was Xbox Original, um, maybe 360. But, uh, but anyways, that's not to toot my own horn, but uh, maybe if I come back for grad school, I'm applying. But anyways, I, <laughs> I will ask you, um, for esports in general, what do you think the biggest misconception is for someone who isn't familiar with it or doesn't have a good grasp of it or hasn't followed it? So I feel like a lot of people kind of underestimate the amount of like not only time commitment but also like emotional commitment that um, goes into like having a career in esports just because of how like different the culture is um, online as opposed to like in person. Like for example, like there's a whole different like troll or like meme community you know that like surrounds the whole internet community and like having to deal with that every day kind of like takes a toll on people you know and so like on top of that there's also like the whole like practicing like for hours at a time staring at a screen as opposed to like being outside like that's also pretty rough as well so like I think we actually had a podcast or not a podcast a panel at um, one of our events of like a bunch of people who are involved like in the industry and one of the guys talked about how um, mental health should be like a higher priority for people who are wanting to pursue esports so i thought that was really cool one kyle and i are big advocates on, on mental health Absolutely. and mental health services so that's yeah. great and it's like the ten thousand hour rule replies to applies to anything you're going to do right if you want to be an expert ten thousand hours is like the tipping point whether it's you know throwing a football or playing overwatch or whatever game you might be mm-hmm. playing right so the kind of the last thing we want and we'll, we'll let you we'll let you go um you know we are we are in a time where we're having to keep our distance from folks. We're having to uh, <laughs> stay home to isolate and do our social distancing to ensure the health and well-being of those around us. And this is also a time where you see a lot of athletes like dusting off their controllers and 
getting into streaming and those types of things. So uh, if you're looking to pass your social distancing time and get into something new, whether it's watching or playing uh, a, a game that would that could be in the eSports realm, and what's a good gateway for people? If you're looking for an on-ramp, what's a, what's a good way to get in? <laughs> um, so I definitely think there are a bunch of like different games, and like obviously there's something for everyone, but probably... The easiest would be League of Legends, just because of A, how popular it is um, on campus, like especially there are a lot of people here that could like help teach you or like play with you or whatever. And then there's also a bunch of like online educational material just from like people who are super good at the game just because of like either talent or like the amount of hours that they spent. So League of Legends, is it's also free to play, which helps, obviously. So Yeah. yeah, it's cool. Man, Ashley, thank you so much for, for spending some time with us. Uh, if people want to connect with you or, or the club, man, where, where can they find you on the internet? Um, probably the best place is either our Twitter. It's twitter.com slash utlonghorngaming. Or you can join our Discord server, which is all like probably better. Um, discord.gg slash longhorngaming. Awesome. And Ashley, thank you so much for taking some time out, man. We will let you go. We really appreciate you jumping on with us. Yeah, of course. So that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you doing too much on the internet? (laughs) Too much indeed. You can find me uh, on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer on Twitter at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can catch me on my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds. We're talking, well, we would have done our spring and summer movie preview, but ain't nothing coming out this spring and summer. So we're talking best TV shows or series to binge while social distancing. So you can check us out uh, on that. It's called Two Woke Nerds. You can find it wherever you find podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them and stay fast and stay furious.